This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a podcast from Joy's jazz show, Bent Notes. Tune in live each Sunday night at joy.org.au. Our special guest on Bent Notes tonight is a Melbourne-based vocalist, arranger and band leader who started learning violin at the age of eight, including playing the music of Bach. Since that time, Michelle Nicole has won the National Jazz Award in Wangaratta and played at so many festivals around the world and released a relatively large number of recordings. Michelle commenced her Bach project almost 10 years ago now, and is about to release the album of that project. It's due out on July the 9th. It is my pleasure to wish a very warm Bent Notes welcome to Michelle Nicole. Welcome, Michelle. Oh, day, David. Thank you so much for uh, having a chat tonight. It's lovely to have you here, Michelle. Now, violin at eight years of age. I understand that it was the violin where you built a love for the music of Bach. What was it that caught your attention about his music? Oh, I think it's just that the melody stick. And you hear, you know, the melodies, I guess, you know, when you're playing the violin, you, you're starting with simple melodies and there's a few pieces you kind of just play as a part of, you know, learning the violin and they, they stick and you can see where the idea starts and where it develops. And then, of course, when you hear a fully blown Bach invention um, and a few things, you, your brain just kind of goes, oh, my gosh, I can still hear where it started. And now I'm just, yeah, it blows you away. So I think it's the melodic, um, you know, memorable melodies that grabbed me, I think. You carried your violin expertise into your university music studies, and obviously that means that you carried those melodies with you as well. Did you continue Mm. to play or appreciate the music of Bach when you moved into the jazz stream? Look, I probably, once I started doing jazz, I probably, you know, kind of just got into jazz. And then, you know, you you would still be playing. I was still playing some classical stuff in the... um, the orchestra stuff at, at uni but not really I kind of just went right now I'm into jazz and but then years later of course it's it's, it's always there and then you're, you're reminded of it from time to time and and you hear a piece and you, you 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 imagine you're playing the violin and you're it takes you back so it wasn't until we were asked by the um, Bach Festival in at Adelaide University to do a jazz performance of Bach and I thought oh That'd be great and great fun to try. And they said, could you do it? And I said, well, you, you always say yes, David. Uh, of course you always say, say no. no. Yeah. Did, you, did they have a sense that you had a love of Bach? No, <laughs> I don't think they did. <laughs> I think they just thought we need some, we need some jazz and in inverted commas. And they certainly knew that the, the uh, musical director of the Bach Festival, this is some years ago, she knew that I started as a violinist, but she also knew I was a jazz and performer. So I don't know that she directly saw that connection, but for me, like it was just an, an opportunity to go, yeah, of course, that'd be fun to arrange some music in a re- <laughs> really different way and surprise them, you know, but also surprise myself, really, too. Did you ever have a sense that it was music that you shouldn't tamper with, that it was sacrosanct? Oh, I think as a jazz musician, if you start doing that, you could you could go every single piece. You know, you, if you think about it too much, but I, I guess because there are going to be purists who say don't mess with, just like with jazz people. You know, yes. jazz people are just as, I mean, really, I mean, they we can be really kind of 
militant about that, you know, and I, I don't feel that way. I sort of think that's part of the tradition of jazz is to take whatever music you want to and and, and to interpret it the way you want. And, and of course, there's parameters and there's styles and stuff, but I kind of think that's what it's meant to be. That's my belief of what jazz is meant to be. And I think, you know, if you think about all the songs that belong in the jazz canon now, their, their origins... You know, I mean, I'm talking about American Songbook. I'm talking about Tin Pan Alley's, you know, songs, yep. and musical theatre songs that we play and people think of as jazz tunes, but they, that wasn't their, how they started, you know, a lot of tunes. But of course, then you've got jazz composers, you know, in compositions that now people take the same sort of liberty with, yes. that they would take, you know, with, um, I don't know, like a, an old show tune. You know, we, we take something that... A few years ago, people said, oh, you can't play a, a Miles Davis tune unless you play it the way Miles intended. But now people would go, well, you know, that, that's not what Miles intended. He wanted people to play how they want to play. I mean, that's most jazz players thinking, I think. And that's the way it should yeah, be. So I think so. So yeah. really, for me, like, I don't really, I mean, it sounds kind of wanky, but I really don't see there being a genre thing. I just think it's music and it's all, all in the approach, in the moment, how you're treating that music. And if you're treating it with respect... And a genuine love for it. I don't really think it matters what where it started or you know from what supposed genre it comes from. Because the music of Bach can be appreciated by anyone, and doesn't matter sure. whether it was in the original form, which I assume, in actual fact, he was probably just sitting at the keyboard, fiddling around, extemporising, improvising until he came up with something he liked. Well, I think I think that's what happened for a lot of the stuff that we know of came from improvising exactly and that's what people did in those days the organists and stuff they they were largely improvising the stuff they were accompanying and then developing these things and then perhaps would go down and write it later and just like jazz players do I mean that's I imagine a lot of jazz compositions come from that place where you, you you're, you're improvising and you go oh, that's cool I like that yeah I'm gonna maybe I'll write that down and then see where it goes and then of course when you're performing it, it it goes somewhere else altogether again last year michelle you were performing at the edge at fed square in what was a wonderful hour of bark project where we got to hear the operatic component of your voice as well <laughs> it, it was such a beautiful hour I didn't i'm sorry about that david yeah, <laughs> i didn't realize there was an operatic component there it was beautiful Oh, you're very sweet. Well, I don't know that it's operatic, but I, I did do classical voice at uni as well. And um, my teacher at the time, he's passed away now, he was really keen for me to, to go over to opera, but who knows? I mean, no, I wouldn't call myself like an operatic, but I mean, the classical sound production thing is something I studied and, and I love it. I mean, I absolutely love it, but I would certainly never call myself a classical singer. And again, it's that same sort of the technique I, I consider whatever, whenever I'm singing, the technique is all based in that same thing, whether it's singing jazz or a classical thing. It's all coming from that same instrument, and it's a good technique that um, I guess if you want to, you can carry it over a few different styles. I guess once you start singing in German too, then it takes it to that other level. It clearly doesn't sound like my normal, you know, Brunswick Green Thursday night gig. Yeah, exactly. And I'm starting to sing in uh, soprano register in German for sure. Yeah. It, it is a little different indeed. <laughs> now, yeah, a little bit of a different vibe. Yeah. You are about to release the album of the Bark Project. Mm. So that's almost yeah. 10 years since its inception. And I Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I saw a post earlier this week 
where you've got a couple of boxes of those black frisbee things as well as CDs. <laughs> yes, I know. I did like a, uh, I was just too excited. I had to open it because we dropped by, we picked up the vinyl. That's it. I've done vinyl. Yeah. This is the ninth, ninth album I've done since the first release, which was in 1998. Oh, wow. So this is the ninth. I know. I was, it was three years old, David. Can you believe it? <laughs> of it course. Amazing. Yes, you were. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, but it was um, the first time I've ever done vinyl, and it's a gamble, but it's also like, oh, well, the money's gone, you know? It's, <laughs> yes. it's, I kind of feel like it's, who knows? You know, people are vi- buying vinyl. It looks beautiful to have a vinyl thing in your hand. I mean, I grew up listening to records. Oh, yes. I'm sure a lot of your listeners did. Yep. You know, where you, you hold the record and you read the notes and you... You know, you pour over everything on that on the record. You know, the visual. Yes. And um, I thought, well, I think for this album because it's so different to anything I've ever done before. I'm just going to go for gold and you know just go do vinyl as well. The added advantage, of course, Michelle, that when you listen to a vinyl record, you put on the turntable, you put the stylus at the start, and you listen to it from the start to the finish. There's no jumping around from track to track. You just go straight to finish. You hear it as the artist intended. Yeah, but then you have to get up and change it, don't you, halfway? Don't forget about that. But but that's a lovely thing, and you could make a cup of tea in between. Go that, have a cup of tea and come back and listen to Side B. That's exactly yeah. right. What can we yeah. expect to hear at the Primrose Potter Salon at the Melbourne Recital Centre on Tuesday, July? Tuesday, July 4, is that right? That's right. You can't forget that, can you? July 4th. I mean, Tuesday night, I don't know. At least not much else happens on a Tuesday night, but we'll play the um, album in its entirety. It's going to be myself and Tom Lee, our bass player, and Ronnie Farella on drums. And we have a special guest on guitar, Hugh Stuckey. Oh, marvellous. Who didn't play on the album. Yes, because Jeff, our guitarist, is now a grey nomad. He's bought a fancy, yeah, he's bought a fancy VW van and he's touring (laughs) Queensland somewhere with his wife. That's where he's at at the moment, and, and that's cool. And he'll be back, but like, Hugh is just a beautiful guitarist. We played with him in, at the Orange Jazz Festival a couple of weeks ago. He came with us on tour and, and in Albury, and he was beautiful. And he's he loves this music as well, and he's he's got the music down, and he's just gorgeous. So it's going to be the four of us, and I, I can't wait. It's going to be beautiful. Sounds good. For more details about this particular concert, check out July 4 on the calendar at melbournerecital.com. Michelle, as we conclude our chat tonight, I've got a piece from the mm-hmm. album to listen to. March in D, and then in brackets, Ornette. What's this yeah. Ornette thing for the March in D? Well, well, I mean, this is like one of the very well-known pieces that a lot of people have played this, especially if you played the violin, you know, you, you learnt this piece. I, when you, you hear it, when the first time we played it, we kind of just thought, well, let's just pull it apart and take it phrase by phrase and just do it how we would if we are improvising the melody. And then it kind of felt, I felt like, oh, this is what Ornette Coleman would do if he were in the room. That's, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for Ornette. But gosh, imagine that. I mean, I love Ornette so much. But so I kind of called it March and D Ornette, like as if he were there, because it's done with that spirit in that we're just sort of really ruminating on every phrase and just sort of seeing where it goes and just taking time, just basically playing the form once through, but just in a really sort of, just a relaxed, extended way. So it's just a, a, a very um, memorable melody that Bach wrote, of course, but then we're kind of doing our own thing in, in it, within each phrase. It's a, certainly a beautiful piece and we will play it in just one moment. But Michelle, thank you for your time tonight here on Bent Notes. It has again been a real pleasure to chat with you. I hope we can get you into studio sometime a little later this year. 
Oh, you know, I'd love that, David. Thank you so much. And I, I've not been to the new the new building. I've only been to the old one in the city. So I was I'm so bummed I can't be there. But but thank you so much for inviting me to chat. And I really hope um we'll see some people down at the recital centre on the Tuesday night. But yeah, the the records it's already out there for pre order on Bandcamp and and the vinyl and the CD and digital download all that stuff. You all know? set to go. Yeah. All set to go, yes. But thank you, David. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Michelle. My best wishes to you for a fantastic show of The Bark Project on July 4. My guest on Bent Notes has been Michelle Nicole. You're listening to Joy 94.9. Love's lately, Lord of love, You've been listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Join us live each Sunday night on Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.